Whatever it means to you, podcast, we're back at it. Episode number 41. My guest today is Dana Bridges. Dana and I met uh, probably about a month ago. I was doing a presentation at a songwriter's workshop, and apparently her husband is a songwriter, so she was attending as well. We got to talking afterwards, and she let me know that she was an artist, and she mentioned that she was about to do a TEDx talk, so that immediately caught my attention. And somehow, uh, in the conversation, it was brought up that, that I had a podcast that I do, and I was just like, hey, I think you'd be a good guest, and she agreed to come on. So it was, it was kind of different because a lot of times, both Shane and I have uh, prior relationships with a lot of people that come in here, and, and that wasn't... That wasn't the case on this one, but nonetheless, it was a great conversation. I'm glad we got her in here. She was involved in the education system for several years. Uh, Just got to the point to where she didn't feel like she could do it anymore. And the impacts that she was making weren't, you know, preferential just because of the way the system works. We get into that on on this episode quite a bit. So I hope you enjoy listening. And uh, please join me in welcoming our new friend, Dana Bridges. All right, Wimty, back at it, episode 41. My guest today is Dana Bridges. Dana, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Right on. Um, we met probably about a month ago, something like that, yes. and I, I was doing a presentation at Enlightened Studios about the ins and outs of working with a booking agent, and after that, you and I started talking, and you had mentioned that you were doing like a TED Talk, and that you did you know, a lot of this reclaimed art stuff, and I was like, man, I've got a podcast. I think he'd be a great guest. So, you know, I thank you for coming in. I'm only, uh, only meeting us briefly, kind of on a whim, and uh, appreciate you for coming in here. So let's just let's get right into it. Tell tell us and our listeners about kind of what you're into. You can give a brief history of yourself, whatever. We'll, we'll kind of go however you'd like to, but we'll okay. get right into it. Yeah, I thought it was it was kind of a a weird chance that we met too because. I don't even know why I was there. I just know Chris and, uh, and he was like, I have this fun thing that you might be interested in. Cause I don't write music, but it's interesting to me. And that's the only reason why I came is just cause I was just interested in that world. So I thought that was just neat too, how we just happened to meet there where he, you know, yeah, right putting on. myself out there. So, yeah, cool. and that kind of goes into my story where I've been doing that a lot is just finding myself, putting myself out there in places to try to, meet people and talk to them, get into this new uh, creative life that I've been trying to develop for myself since I left the teaching field, which was uh, um, a little over a year ago, which whenever, of course, I went to college for it and decided that was going to be my life. So it was kind of devastating for me to finally decide after many years of being in the system to to leave the system. And I know there's been a lot of stories late, lately where teachers have talked about that. But, um, but Yeah, now you were a teacher for how long? I was a teacher for eight years. Okay. And then I taught teachers for um, a few years after that and where I went around the state and educated them on the state standards and talked to them about how to line their uh, their curriculum their assignments to the standards and tried to help them with any english questions they have i was, I was the ela specialist for the, for the state that now that's got to be interesting in itself leaving something like that after 12 years because i would assume similar to other career fields like i know in the military once you're at 20 years you get retirement you get your pension 
all that kind of stuff. How does that work with teachers, you know, putting in 12 years of time? Well, it was closer to 11 years. Yeah. It wasn't quite, maybe 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember. But even so, um, it, it's it's closer to 20, it's 25 years and 30 years now for some, depending on when you entered the field. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I could have, could have retired early. It wouldn't have been anything though. Everybody keeps teaching though afterwards. And, yeah. And it, you know, very few people retire early, but yeah, it was, it was difficult for me to make because I thought that that was going to be the career that I retired in and, yeah. that, and I had made it to what I thought was, um, where I wanted to be in terms of being, get moving up in my career too. I had been in the classroom. Um, I had never been an administrator, so it was strange for me to be able to get a position at the state department. That's something that, you know, you just don't, I mean, I know like coming outside of the teaching world, you're like, who would want to work at the state department? Mm-hmm. But, but in the teaching world, it was something that was interesting to a lot of people. And you just, you know, usually have, is it a more prestigious job? Well, it's not necessarily as prestigious. It just means that you've put in that you have, you know, worked your way into a specialist position. You're so, a pro. So yeah. yes, you've, you've put in, uh, you have experience and mm-hmm. now you're able to, to be almost a mentor to other teachers and that's what they hire you for is because of your expertise. So I had achieved my goals that I had set for myself, but it was, it was something that I realized into it that I didn't want anymore. There was too much there that I saw that I didn't agree with that I also could not find ways to fix. So that was really devastating for me to have. You to mean read. you couldn't? You mean you couldn't fix it within the the education system or or the the politics and uh, the strategies that they were using to some of these kids were just, was just so against what you believed in anymore that you couldn't put yourself through it anymore. Well, a, a little bit of each of that. For for me, I feel like there are there are extreme. Um, problems within the education system and most people would agree with that the the issue is though we say it in one hand and then on the other hand we tell our kids you know go to school it's so important you need to learn everything there but then everybody's all upset about what they're actually learning and then nothing actually happens to fix the issue it's just of how how education for i believe more so in secondary has just been ineffective for our students in preparing them for to be successful in life so when i got to the point where i thought i could help make some changes i found like i found a lot more limitations and a lot more reasons behind why some of the decisions were being made and um saw no possibility for me to make changes in the position that I was in. Yeah. How dirty is it? Um, like from the inside. <laughs> so there's a lot of people with really great intentions. And that's something that I don't want anybody to miss the point of that. There's just not, it's not a bunch of evil people like walking around, like intentionally making the wrong decisions for mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of well-intentioned people um, problems stem from national level that trickle down to state level, even though states have a lot more choice now with with the act that's in place now of in terms of accountability and choosing and making decisions for students. The issue comes, though, with um, some of the goals that we have that we set in place for our students and we lose the uh, we lose the understanding of what the real purpose of education is. It is to help students be successful 
in their passions and dreams and with their talents and natural talents and abilities and and for them to define that for themselves yeah but what we're doing is defining it for them mm-hmm. a lot of times so that was discouraging to where i couldn't make enough changes to where we could help students move closer to being able to make those decisions for themselves just yeah. a lot of flaws within the system that that cannot i mean obviously can't be fixed by one person i never thought that i just thought i could do more to to help than what i could mm-hmm. yeah man i had a i had a conversation with my wife earlier today and we uh we have we have uh, no children um none none planned of that i know of just yet but but i was thinking with like with school coming back i have a niece and a nephew and I, I put myself in their parents' position and c- touching on two things, kind of on what you said, I feel like there's some, there, there's a part of the education system that almost breaks these kids' spirit that, that takes any, a, a lot of it, you know, you have band and chorus and art and, and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of, the, you know, I'm very grateful for the time that I spent. I went to school basically for a chorus. That's, that was the mm-hmm. reason I, I hated everything about school. I hear school. that a lot. But I, I loved the choral program. I loved being able to sing. I loved that aspect of it. Um, so I, I can't imagine a child of my own putting myself in my brother and my sister's position. I have a niece and a nephew and sending them into a place where I know they're getting the same thing that, that 600, 700, 1500 other kids are getting mm-hmm. is 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 somewhat bizarre to me but i also get that that's public education but then i also started thinking i don't know if i could in, in good conscience like drop my kid off at school and think that they're safe mm-hmm. now either like that's the thing i was talking with with my wife i was like you know we haven't had a a mass school shooting in like two months because school's been out mm-hmm. like how great is that and i'm you just know like i feel like i feel like any day now we're gonna get our first one of the year and I just, you know, I know those are two completely separate issues. Yeah, yeah but but there also there are parts of that that do relate, mm-hmm. and and not in a causation way. I don't want to say in a causation way, but I think a lot. You know, I read an article where it says the the high school children are not okay, but I really think, and there might have been another article that they were talking that they were referencing. But I think it, it stems from beginning in middle school. And, and of course, I don't want to say that school is causing, the, like school is creating these people who who go around and shoot. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, like shoot, the, the mass shootings. I don't oh, yeah, know. of course. Every yeah. cause is different. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. that we could do better in the middle school level of uh, well, middle school kids are fucked up though like i mean seriously yes I, and that's a very general <laughs> statement but i remember how insane i was in middle school i have taught and i was grade. a relatively <laughs> decent kid you know like there were definitely there were some other kids that were like that kid's a terror but now like when i look back like i was you're insane i think middle schoolers are insane it is yeah. and i think be, before that that's whenever but they're also insane because they they get that they're there and they're not doing what they really want to be doing mm-hmm. and need and and need to be doing and that's another thing to talk about too is they it's not just about want, what they want to do yeah. it's about they know what they want for themselves a lot of times even if they can't tell you verbalize but they know their passions they know what they're interested in they know what they want to explore yeah. they get to middle school 
and they don't get when they're starting to have all of these thoughts and these in coming to terms with who they want to be when they grow up or what they want to call themselves i am this i am a musician i am an artist i am whatever they want to call themselves they don't get a chance to explore those things then and i think that that develops a, a lot of problems that they don't know how to verbalize and that's mm-hmm. where there's a lot of issues in middle school is because they're just so frustrated with what's happening and they have no control over what is happening so they they decide to go crazy in other ways you yeah know? you said you taught seventh grade and eighth grade i've taught middle school and high what did school you, what did you teach english english yeah. so you got you got all the kids then all the kids had to see you pretty much or it, it dep- if, yeah. or someone team, just like you yeah, yeah whatever yeah. team or whatever yeah. Uh, thing you're on i can imagine uh, being a teacher also like how your heart has to be broken on a daily basis Mm -hmm. because you you'll see these kids who have potential and talent and you have no idea what their home life is like Mm -hmm. uh, or you know what what type of parents they have or anything like that so how, how do you how does how do you not take that home with you or do you is it just does it just control your life? That's or? part of it, too. I think another reason why, because I actually went back into to teaching in the classroom before I just quit. Yeah. And I had never left a school before the end of a school year before. I went from teaching teachers to not being able to, to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, to, because I didn't want to, so I left. I mean, it was convenient too that I got married and moved to Florida, so that was convenient too that I did that. And but but it was timing where I said I have this is the time for me to get out of teaching teachers if I'm going to do this on in this way that I don't feel like is effective, and I, and I need to go back into the classroom and try that again. Mm-hmm. And I did, and I didn't make it like two months in, and I said I can't. I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't even know why I tried to go back into it because there were so many restrictions placed on me as a teacher that even with my level of expertise of having been at the state level, seen the top down, worked with teachers, mentored them. If I couldn't make it in the classroom, then I'm like, what am I doing here at this point? Mm -hmm. If I can't help these students, because it was every day something it's yeah. extreme. Did you get drastic. discouraged to the point where you just felt like it was a lost cause and that's what caused you to quit? I mean, to, yes. I, I, I'd i always said to myself, too, when I entered teaching that I would not be one of those that, like, showed up every day angry, you know, and, like, not, you know, angry and, and to the point where all of my stress was just where I gave up and I just showed mm-hmm. up for the paycheck every day. And so I, I can't. I can't show up. Not that it was a big paycheck, so, yeah. but yeah. It, it was the paycheck. So, I, but I was, I, I didn't want to do that to my, I wanted more for myself in my career to, than to, to, to just show up and not be able to do anything at all about all of these things that were happening around me. Well, that leads me into what my next question was going to be. Do you think there's a strong correlation or, or parallel to, you know, just sending these large groups of kids into the same place to get the same education and it just sucks any creativity out of these out of these kids is there a parallel to the teachers as well yeah and it absolutely i think you know te- like with all these with all these restrictions and and you know these programs and state testing and all that like you will teach the fcat or whatever yeah. like i feel like that would have to be sucking any creativity that the teachers have that they could bring to the table to assist these students absolutely as well. and teachers are some of the most creative people you'll ever meet mm-hmm. they i will 
always champion a teacher because they really, a lot of times when you, when someone says, you know, that's a bad teacher, what they're referring to a lot is someone who is either completely can't figure out how to maneuver in the system, um, has given up, like whenever I quit, I decided I wasn't going to do that, I've given up, or or they just never knew where to start to begin with, Mm -hmm. you know, and and they just got really lost. And so there are teachers that, you know, that, that, so whenever they're talking about a bad teacher, um, that's what they're referring to a lot, but it's when they've kind of given up on being able to to maneuver in the system, I feel like, because mm. there are so many restrictions in the system, even things like the grading system. When you're thinking about how you're going to assign grades, we get all this great research about the effective way to help students grow in their skills and knowledge, which is to giving them direct feedback. And then you have something like the grading system where you give an A for an assignment and how to, like, they just know they got an A on this. They don't know what skills that they need to work on or what skills they did well at. So when a teacher tries to create an innovative system, like I've done and so many other teachers have done before, where they try to create this innovative and creative way of giving students a, a, a different type of grade with with real feedback based on research. You have a thing like the, the grading system, the platform that we're using, that is hard to enter it in. We can't even enter in appropriately our, our system that we're trying. We have to limit ourselves to, to be doing what the system that they bought for the school can can handle. Mm. So we're trying to give real effective feedback in a very different way, which research shows that the grades just aren't working in the way that we're we're assigning them. Mm-hmm. But we can't do anything innovative about it whenever we have no way of reporting this feedback to them. So we are limited with the handbook says you have to enter in these amount of grades by the nine weeks. So if we're trying to implement a new system, it's not going to work. So we yeah. have to just go back to doing things the way that we're expected to do them. We can't, we don't have any room to innovate and to use the research to, to make the grading system better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way that creativity is, is, is yes, less than fostered. Yeah. yeah. On both sides. Yeah. Um, what what made you what made you want to get into the to the education field? Because full disclosure, just so our listeners know, Dana is the most prepared guest I think we've ever had on this podcast. What, were you um, like four pages? Yeah, I had to cut one of the pages out because <laughs> I didn't want to use all my paper and ink. But this is great. Um, you you gave me a lot of information on you, which which also really helped me out because. Uh, just full disclosure, we we don't know each other. <laughs> we we we've had we've had about a, a twelve minute conversation once at a studio, <laughs> and and from then, you know, you told me a little bit of your story. I thought you'd be a fascinating guest, so I'm glad you came in here. But um, the the first thing that 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 points out to me on here, the the first bullet point you gave me, you said you you grew up with a father in prison and a low income family, and I was also uh, not not to. Not to bring it up too much, but I could also tell by your accent that you aren't from here. No, um, I'm not. So, I, but I want to guess where, I don't. I haven't read here. Did you tell me where home is from here? I don't know if I did. Because I would guess, I would guess like Jackson, like Jackson, Mississippi or something well, like I've, that. That's where I was, yeah, I've lived there, but no, I, okay. I'm from the coast of Mississippi. Okay. I'm, but it's Mississippi. I'm close, right? <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. But anyway, how, how did... How did education? I would I would assume that your schooling, especially if you 
if you're if you're if your father was in prison and you were in a low income family I would have to imagine that school played a pretty big, pretty big role in your life. Yeah, and that's that's part of too what um, what I like to emphasize to people. I actually enjoyed school, mm-hmm. and I liked school, but that's because I understood like I got school and I enjoyed that those parts of it um, that a lot of people don't enjoy. What part? Like the structure? Yeah, the structure yeah. of it, and um, I enjoyed really more so. It, having a place to go to that was uh, that was not that was not home for sometimes you know any t- a lot mm-hmm. of teenagers they do want to get away from me I had a you know like most people like it feels really weird saying this like I had a difficult childhood but it wasn't you know it's the typical difficult that you hear where you were able to prevail mm-hmm. so there wasn't any you know amazingly sad sob stories just it was a place school was a place for me to go somewhere yeah and and i could do well there and i performed well there and um i found myself you know really um wanting to be in the teaching field because I just enjoyed the structure of school there. So I do like to point out too, that it's just, it's not, I I, I don't think that school is a bad place for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that what my point is, but you would agree that it's a bad place for some. I do. I think it's, I think that it is not structured for, for, but just a few Mm -hmm. or part, part of students and they know how, and those are the students like me who knew how to make it through the system, and knew how to to get out. And but I think partly too, I didn't. I think I bought in early to the fact that because I wanted to be an artist when I was younger. But I I bought into the fact early on more so than other people that that um, what I was being told was you can't make a career as as an artist. You can't make a career as a creative in that way. Yeah. And so I accepted it a lot sooner than I think a lot of people than a lot of people did and uh, I think that was part of it too um I feel like we I feel like those tables have turned drastically now though because yeah. now we're trying to uh, now we're trying to look for more kids who want technical jobs or not technical but skill like votech type stuff uh welders uh, you know plumbers you know those types of things the kids aren't doing anymore. So there's a mm-hmm. lack of that. So these, and a lot of these jobs, I mean, a fucking plumber, it's a hundred dollars an yeah. hour to get them at your house. Yes. I, because there's, they yeah. know their, they know their skill and mm-hmm. we don't have enough that are being, so part of the problem with Votech too, that I found in my years of working at high school is, um, and this is the schools that I've worked at. I always like to say that too. I don't like to speak for every school because different policies for different schools, but a lot of schools that I've heard the, the major issue is they have grade levels set for you entering in certain programs. Like you have to have an A or B or a certain GPA in classes in order to enter into the VOTEC program mm. at a lot of schools. So the kids who want to be in there because they want to. So you're going to play by these rules regardless. Yeah. You, you know. So yeah. it, so they're wanting to be in there because they're not doing well in the academic side of, and their passions are somewhere else other than academics. So they're wanting to get into these programs, but they can't get into them mm. because they have to have a certain GPA in order to be able to get into these programs. Mm. So so that's so there's some kids that aren't even getting into the programs because they can't get out of 
their their English class. The rat race yeah, of, yeah. of those programs to start and, with. And that seems kind of backwards. Yeah, it is. And and I think some schools are recognizing that and they're but but for a while there there were there were many rules set by schools. That's not a that's not a state thing or a national thing. So mm-hmm. that's that was policies set by them. So it kept the people who the kids that were interested in those from from entering in that those classes. Yeah. Yeah. So so going back to your background a little bit, just so, just so our listeners understand more a little a little more about you, um, I would assume having a, a father in prison. We won't get too too much into that. I'm just bringing it up because you gave me that in your notes. Um, I would assume that that you and your mom probably had to be quite the power duo. Well, I, yeah, I have I have siblings too. I have two brothers yeah. and a sister too. So, yeah, and um, you know, my my mother worked very hard. Mm-hmm. So so she was busy a lot. So we were. Um, we were all chipping in at that point, taking care of things. So, um, but yeah, it, 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 I think the fact that I wanted to, I think the fact that I had difficulty in teenage years, especially that I wanted to be away from home sometimes at that school, that's what kept driving me back to there. I mean, I, I wasn't one of those kids that didn't want to miss a day. Like I planned like one day a a year to miss. And I would tell my mom, I'm going to miss this day is, you know, is that okay? Because I want to do this? No, just because I wanted to, like, I would, I would plan. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't care about the perfect attendance at that point. I did. I did. When I was a kid, my little sister was being born and I asked my mom if I could make it all the way till like, Two, two o'clock and so I wouldn't miss that day because there were certain times so you get your full credit yeah and she said no I'm I'm having I'm having your sister so you either come or you can get picked up later yeah. so but anyway gangster. yeah well <laughs> like I, yeah like I was I was definitely a rule follower which is really strange for me I feel like this reversal with with and it feels really it, that's why it felt really weird leaving the education system because I'd always thought this is what you're supposed to do. Like, mm. why is this not working? These are the rules that I was told I followed to have a successful and meaningful and purposeful career. And now I've followed these rules. Yeah. And well, I'm not, I don't have a meaningful or purposeful career. Well, you say right here uh, in some of your notes that you sent over that you weren't able to see the whole picture uh, until you could tell that the damage you had done unintentionally. You really think that you've damaged I, I do. Kids? I do. I was not, like, looking back at it, I just feel like I could have done more to guide them in their passions. And there were many times that, and it wasn't intentional, but there were many times that I was, because I was such a rule follower, that I, I wanted, and I wanted to do well at my job because, I had, for me, I had seen it as working so hard. I didn't want to, you know, disappoint. I wanted to do, you know, be the best at my job. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I feel like I overlooked a lot of things that I was feeling about when kids would say, why are we doing this? And I would give them, you know, my reason for doing it for why are we, this is why we have to do this. But then because I have a lot of standards placed on me yeah. that people are going to make me do. That's going to damage you. Yeah. So, but then, then it got to the point where I, I, I realized that, you know, I, I could have done more. There were so many kids with, so I had this one kid who was, Real, he knew what he wanted to be like, and that, and I get that that's not every kid. What was that? What, what did he want? To he be? wanted to be an architect, okay. and so 
he knew. So if you're like, take geometry. Yeah. Yeah. So he, I could have done more to to help him explore that. And I could have ignored, um, you know, some more of what was being required of me to because I knew that he actually had mastered all of these things and I could have set him on a different path. But because there were so many other restrictions placed on me, it was really hard for me to maneuver like how to get him on that path and understand where to get in there. Instead, I just told him, no, you have to do this. And Mm. uh, even though I knew that he could have done much more had, had I been able to actually help him achieve his dream that he was so clear and articulate about of what he wanted to do. And he didn't understand why he had to write a paper about this if he knew the direction he was going mm-hmm. in. And and a lot of people dismiss kids like that. They're like, no, because we have to do this. This is what... And my question is, why? Like, why do we have to write this paper about this topic on for this reason? Why? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Why, if this kid knows where he wants to go, are we not exploring this more? Why are we not? Why don't we have a system that's designed to help them succeed, and the ones who don't know what direction they want to go in to have a system that guides them to different? How do you directions? do that? Oh, that's such a hard question. But that's what you start with. Yeah, and then also, how? Do, please explain to me and help me understand how how schools are funded. Because how is it that the, the teachers and if you're living in a, a wealthy neighborhood, a wealthy side mm-hmm. of town, for example, I would assume that Destin Elementary School is probably quite a bit different than whatever elementary school in Crestview, Florida. Well, yeah. And to like, how do those schools get money? Like, don't how does that how does the funding process work? And doesn't that also create different opportunities, say, from the inner cities of Washington, D.C. to that's such Justin, a complex Florida. question. How do those schools get their money? Yeah, I mean the 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 short end. I mean that's that would take a long time to explain mm-hmm. and it very boring. Yeah. But the big thing is that when you have your your act, your big act, whatever it is right at the time, that no child left behind, the um, ESSA or some people call it ESA, whatever now. So the states have requirements that they have to follow. The, the requirements are a lot looser now than what they have been, but that doesn't mean that they are they're better. I should say that, that that just means that they're they're different and there's more opportunity for innovation in some states. So states do have a lot more leeway, which is what you want to happen. And you want states and you want even local areas to have way more control over what they're requiring of their students um, because they know their students and they can make better decisions that way rather than making them for a whole as a whole. But so states have certain requirements they have to follow. And if they follow those requirements and do well at following those requirements, then that's where the funds are allocated. And, and it depends. And there's a whole big formula to it. And then also you got PTAs. Parent involvement is mm-hmm. a big part of it. Um, you go. I, I'm assuming that Destin, it, which what you was just mentioned, they have a huge PTA, I'm sure, and a very dedicated PTA. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the parents at another school aren't dedicated. They just maybe have to have two jobs 
or, you know, to be able to, to provide for their family and they don't have time to be as involved as they want to be involved and they don't have time to, to do these fundraisers. That doesn't mean they love their children any less. They just may be really busy or not be aware, like just be so tired at the end of the day that they don't know what all they can get involved with and when they can get involved with it because they're just trying to make it, you know, through their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that I had a conversation with a family member right before the school season started, um, and they they got a waiver. Well, first off, we were talking about how segregation and and racism I think stems a lot of times is systematic, mm-hmm. and they disagreed with me. They said you're full of shit, basically, in so many words. I said, okay, well then, you know, if that's the case, then why would you get a waiver to get this kid to go to a different school than they were than the school that they were zoned to go to Mm -hmm. because the demographics of that school were a little bit different so i think that kind of just proved my point yeah and i think too in underserved schools you're going to have a school grade that's lower than than other schools and i think that that's a very flawed system there and keeps you said underserved schools can you expand on that a little bit so it, it like with just even the PTA, mm-hmm. so having the a strong PTA or PTO, whatever yeah. they're calling less it. Resources, less resources, less parental yeah. involvement. Yeah, it, it, less that, resources. Kind of if they've been scoring low, then that also hurts them in terms of um, what all kind of they have to maintain certain things with funding. And then it just depends. Um, to part of it is also when you have a teacher turnover rate because teachers aren't supported in schools that are underserved they just aren't and they you know they can only stay there for so long before they have to move on so that they're they don't break mm-hmm. you know and they don't leave the profession altogether and then some of them are are leaving because they're leaving the profession altogether so when you have a big turnover rate like that it 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 doesn't do well for students they don't ever get to know their teachers there's no consistency. The administrators are often a, a revolving door there, too, because then they have to learn all new staff, and it's stressful for them. So it's just this one big, uh, like, everything just kind of falls on one another whenever these pieces don't come together. So It almost seems like, the, once again, there's a huge correlation between what happens with students and what happens with staff. Like, you just yeah. you put them in this fucking machine mm-hmm. and just this boom 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 give them this boom 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 give mm-hmm. them. it's like it's like when i w- uh, went through the air force they were like haircut shots yeah. you know they just send you through this assembly line just to for like form you to this you it's know it's interesting you say yeah. that one of the pe- one of the um what uh, there is uh he's a te- he's one of the best ted talks ever and that's where I d- that's where i figured him out or i found him um he um, his name is Ken Robinson, and he talks about that, how we are running our school system on an old, old, outdated system where it's more like uh, running them through a, a conveyor belt mm-hmm. down the assembly mm-hmm. line. Like the cartoons, yes. you know? Yeah, where yeah. we start them all and just because we group it's them like by their... like how they make their, Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, we group yeah. them by their age, you know, and like what, like why does that even make sense to group them by their age when, mm-hmm. when they have different abilities and interests and levels of in, when they're entering the school, but we've always done it that way. So no one says, why are we doing it this way? Even though there would could be a much better system of... of of grouping students through, um, but the problem is that would create a paradigm shift, and and no one knows how to start that, and yeah. and and 
it's also not being talked about enough to get to the point where someone has an idea of where to start that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the TED Talk because that's a really great transition. You and I could probably (laughs) sit here and talk for three hours about the frustrations of the education system. My my mom's been in the education system for over 20 years now. She teaches special ed kids. um, And, you know, I could probably talk to her for, you know, the whole day. I would love to talk to her. About these types of things. You you might want to do that. You might not. But, um, But anyway, transitioning into that so i can obviously understand how frustrated you were with all of this uh and then moving into so one day you just said i've had enough i'm done Done. i'm I'm quitting this is after you said you met your husband and moved down here well yes we down here we i had decided that i would try somewhere else Mm -hmm. to go back into the classroom and see what i could do with with my now with my now level of experience and oh, I'm sure coming from the state level back to just a normal yeah. teaching job, you're probably like, I'm about to tear this up. Oh, I thought I was. <laughs> I thought I was. And 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 um and I was actually though super excited about it too because I had missed having a school family. I have lots of friends that are still at the state department and and very well intentioned friends that are that are trying to to do their part. They just they feel like their best role is in the system right now. And so I felt like I needed to leave to try something else. And I get there and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't make change. I had, uh, you know, over a hundred students. Many of them spoke very little to no English. What was I, me, do you hear me from Mississippi? Like I'm not trained in that way to be able to support students. And that's not fair to them while holding them to the same standards that I'm holding other students too and then on top of it even students who speak english not having the support system that they need mm-hmm. you know like it just became too much and i was i was going home at six seven o'clock every day having been there from early in the morning trying to do what i knew was best for them but not physically capable of doing it and i said i'm done mm-hmm. done i cannot do this anymore i will not do this to my family myself anymore yeah so so you were you were married at this time when Mm -hmm. you quit right so how does that work because i would assume that just uh piecing out i can speak from a little bit of experience on this (laughs) because the day after i got married my wife quit her job all right unbeknownst to me all right love her to death she's great (laughs) My, my wife's an incredible person um, but that wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. All right. That I've wasn't... heard that comment before. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you, how do you justify that? Because I, I would assume that you were newly, you were newly married probably. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 he saw me every day and he yeah, said, you're miserable. He said, this isn't, yeah. and, and we had, I had left the, uh, my other job to not be miserable mm. every day. Mm-hmm. And I had left some great friends up there to and to come here and 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 not have you know anybody that I knew in the area for you know I was away from uh, a lot of people I had moved here and then was trying to do what I needed to do to 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 be a good teacher and couldn't do that anymore and was coming home late every day uh, upset he's like no we're you know you'll come work with with we'll work together mm-hmm. in his business and and until i can figure out what i want to do so that's what i did i went i said i put in my notice i did put in a notice yeah <laughs> and I, I said this is what it. kind of a notice do you have to give 
Uh, are you, uh, well, uh, there's been teachers who've, <laughs> who've just been gone. Walk out of the room, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I put in, uh, I put in uh, more than, I put in about a month notice. So I, I, I made sure I split at a good timing for another teacher to come in. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think that teacher stayed either long after that. But um, uh, it, it, you know, I, I tried to transition out of it as easily to prevent students from like being too, too messed up and too jarred in the middle of the year. And that mm-hmm. was that was really hurtful for me there too. I, I had, I had them write letters to their new teacher to introduce themselves, and uh, you know, I couldn't apologize more but at that point i just also couldn't stay any longer yeah. so i can i can imagine but yeah I've, I've definitely been in jobs where I, I was like i can't do this another day yeah but i did sure. put in a, a decent notice because yeah. i mean but also that that was like that was devastating for me because i thought again like i thought that was going to be the career that i yeah when in. was this this was a little over a year ago okay. uh, right about well it was right about yeah Right about this time. Yeah. So let's get into the fun okay. stuff then. Okay, so, yeah. so you quit. That's free. Yeah, my life isn't totally depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously not because in that time frame, you've gone from uh, from being a teacher, being a, an advisor at, a, at the State Department to giving a TED Talk. So, yeah. So ha- let's, let's bridge that for the listeners. How does so that happen? So when I quit teaching, I decided I – well, first of all, I, I didn't know what I was going to do and um, – you know, so you had no plan when you quit. Oh no! You're just like I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I I had no plan, mm-hmm. and I mean, my my husband does real estate, so it was easy for me to kind of join in with him and see what I could do there, um, in terms of like marketing, because my degree is in you know would allow for something like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought I thought at the very least, I would explore that. Where'd you go to school? I, I went to College. school. I went to USM and William Carey in oh, okay. uh, yeah in cool. Mississippi. So. Cool. But um, I I decided that I would, whenever I made it to the point where I was completely broke down, I, d- I didn't want to do real estate, but I knew that that was an option. And my husband's so good at it that, it, like, I saw also that I didn't have the passion that he had for it. So yeah. I was like, I'm not going to jump back into something else. Yeah, that- and you were like, if I make two or three sales in a year, that's my teacher salary anyway. Well, so, <laughs> you know? I thought it was a fallback plan for then, yeah. but then I got to thinking more about it. And, um, and it was actually when I was going through my teaching supplies. So I'm going through my teaching supplies, which if you're, you know, your mom, like you collect mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. stuff over the years, yeah, like a lot of shit. It's mm-hmm. a lot, a lot. Ask any teacher. And so like, I, I mean, I had a whole nother house I was going through, it felt like. And so I went through and I was, I was throwing things away and tossing stuff left and right. And I was, um, came across some bottles of paint that I had bought many, many years ago. And I, I kept them with me with everything and packed them around to each classroom. And, and even when I went to state department, they stayed in my stuff. I had never gotten back into painting. Like I wanted to, and creating artwork, like I wanted to, like I used to do, um, before, um, and just for fun before, you know? And so I thought, as I'm like throwing these things away around me and I found this paint, it, it, 
it was the sign to try something out. So I thought I would create something. And so I took what was in front of me, these things that I was going to throw away, these like pieces of my career, and I wanted to put them together. And I created artwork from these little pieces. And I thought, this is really neat. So I started looking more into it. And that actually had a name, which was creative reuse art, where you take things that are intended to be trashed and you turn them into something, you know? And I thought, how amazing does that sound? You know, I want to do this all the time. So I started doing that and I got into maker's markets and I started going to these, to art galleries and telling them what I'm doing and asking to do workshops. And I finally found a um, gallery that, uh, that let workshops and then let me put my artwork there and then maker's markets that I did mm-hmm. where I sold my art and was able to sell my art, which was transformative to me because, you know, I didn't think that anybody would buy anything I made, you know, that change your mindset thing where I, I, I realized I could call myself an artist, you know. Yeah. And then I also decided, too, once I started selling art, that I was going to do, like, why was I not doing these things that I had always wanted to do? I, I love TEDx talks and TED talks. Why was I not telling people my story? Like, mm-hmm. what about, like, why would I not go and, and live my dreams that I was interested in? And so I just had this shift in my mindset that this was going to be the year that I did things that I always wanted to do and I wasn't going to live by rules that that had been prescribed for me and told me that this was the way to live. Because I had tried that and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I was going to try something different. And if it didn't work... It didn't work, you know, but it wasn't working the other way. So why not try it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you start creating your own art. I'm assuming that it's been reasonably successful. Yes. Like you're selling, people are buying your stuff. I'm I'm selling at maker's markets. I haven't done. uh, What's a maker's market? Okay. So all I hear is maker's mark. So I'm I'm like, oh, whiskey. whiskey. (laughs) Which is my whiskey of choice. Yeah. Um, but Maker's Market is where anybody with handcrafted materials, no, yeah. no sales, just handcrafted, depends on artist. Um, it could be um, herbalist that mm-hmm. make tea. They get together in this market that an organizer, Liz, the organizer of the TEDx Talk. This is how okay. I got into the TEDx Talk. She organized these makers markets in Pensacola yeah. and they're really, they're really becoming very big. And, and, and we just did one this past weekend where, I, um, where I was, I was in Pensacola and you, you get together and it's just this market where people can come in and find local makers, artists and artisans, uh, just it, basically craft products, craft, crafted, yeah. yes, handmade, yeah. all handmade. And, um, and you buy directly from them. Mm-hmm. And so you get good customer service and you get handmade one of a kind. And you get to meet the person who actually the person, created yes, the thing. Absolutely. That's always really important, I yeah. feel like. I feel yeah, like and so it, the maker, that's what maker's markets are. So mm-hmm. I, when I, participating in that also helped me find my community, which is yeah. really important too. And because that was my one of my pitfalls is I didn't know my community. I didn't know who to go and where to go to find the people that could help me or that I could just be a part of. Of, of their scene so mm-hmm. that I could learn from them. Yeah. So that provided me a, a community to go to as well. And then Liz also mentioned the TEDx talk and she's like, what's the difference between a TED talk and a TEDx talk oh, and, and that kind of stuff? Let's Okay. So TED talk is like the big deal. That's like the big, 
the big time. So underneath that is um, TEDx stages, which is localized. Like every, there's areas that have um, that an organizer in the area who wants a TED style um, experience will organize this. Some are great. Some are not so like some are, you know, not as organized. Mm -hmm. This one I'm hearing from the ones who spoke was way it's one of the better ones that they have. I was the newbie speaker, yeah. so everybody else that spoke was like seasoned mm-hmm. in one way or another. But but um the, the TEDx talk is is locally put on. So if you do well on the TEDx stage, the TED talk may pick it up and run it on their channel okay. too. But the, but there's a TEDx so I, YouTube channel. So so for an example, if I wanted to put together a TEDx talk for creatives in Destin, how would mm-hmm. I, how would you go about doing that? Well, talk to Liz. <laughs> but, but no, but there's give actually, me Liz's info. We'll I will give it. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she uh, um, she's she's amazing. She could tell you everything about what to do. But really, there's a there's the the you look up TEDx. Yeah, um, I'm imagining like using that logo and that marketing and that branding. You there have has training. To be several. There's training you go through. You have to go to. Yeah, it's pretty serious. Yeah, and and like I said, there's some that 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 put on better than others. They're all very well done. Mm. But Liz did. Liz Allen, she did such a great job with it. She's really leading the way in Pensacola for for makers and for people just helping people find like to, avenues for I their need to meet this yeah. Liz Allen. Yeah, person. she's really she's, she's, she's she needs to be a guest. She on does the podcast for sure. Um, that's but that's great. So how do okay me being a fan of several podcasts and. Also, TED Talks. I can imagine that being selected to give a TEDx has to be quite the experience as well, right? It was it was really insane mm-hmm. because um, I just I just told her my story, and and she knew me from in, being interested in the makers community that she was creating, and I think that she um, really like I I think part of it is she is. Maybe she just had enough speakers and needed another person, but yeah. I think too that she was happy to for it to be a maker, and because that's her passion is to promote makers. What was your talk on? It Leaving on, the school system? Yeah, and, it was and on becoming how, an artist. Yes, okay. how the creative my creative reuse art helped mm-hmm. me to reimagine what my world could be and which completely is, changed your life. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, it just helped me understand that my. Everything I had done before wasn't really a waste of time. Mm-hmm. That I could take what I had learned before and in the system, and I could use it out of the system to try to make change that I could not make, that I could not make mm-hmm. in the system. Doesn't mean that others can't, and I'm not saying that everyone should leave and not work. No more teachers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying for me, because I, I think I fear that, like, I always also worry about my friends too, because uh, uh, I have some great friends that are in the system. And yeah. I, w- I want to emphasize that they are working hard with really good intentions to do what they can. But for me, I have found that taking what I have learned in, in the education system um, and I am able to have that understanding to do more with it. I, I work with I work with a kid now who um, he left public schools and I keep saying public schools. I want to say, too, it's not just public schools. There's there's private and. Mm-hmm. And in other schools that if if it's in this, if it follows the system there, it, it doesn't it doesn't mean just because it's private that it's a better school. So I yeah. want to I want to throw that out there, too. I just worked in the public school. So it's not an attack 
on public schools. Mm-hmm. That's very important to say because people will will misconstrue that and, and then jump on the the public school sucks bandwagon. It's yeah. not it's not about that. It's it's about the way of doing school that I'm talking about. And so, anyways, I had student. I work with a student now who left the public school system because he could not pursue his passion. He knows what he wants to be, and so I work with him. And it's sort of my way of, um, I guess, making up for the years of things that, you know, that damage that I felt like I did to other kids. It's sort of my cathartic way of, of working through my own issues. So I'm actually able to, without all the limitations and restrictions of the education system, I'm actually able to do all the things that I wanted to do in order to guide someone to define success for themselves. Mm-hmm. But I also am using that expertise a lot that I learned in the education system to be able to do that. So, you know, I can't really say that it, it completely did me wrong, my experience. I can't dismiss it like it's yeah. not important for, for what I'm doing. Do you do you ever look back and, and imagine what life would be like if you were still teaching? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Do you know. have a panic attack? I don't, th- I don't think that I, honestly, I, I was really in bad health. Mm-hmm. Like it was, and, and like many teachers are today, yeah. like today, you know, I, I think about it all the time. I, I, I have a friend, my best friend just quit the education system and same, she's in, she's me a year later. She's trying to figure out things now. She held on a year longer than I could and. And it's just devastating to, to, cause a teacher's heart is to fix. We want to fix and make better. And we, and it's becoming impossible in some places, in many places to be able to do that, um, in the system. Yeah. So. Well, I've never spoken to a teacher who said I did it for the money. Yeah. But that that, doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think, too, that also teachers are taught to to stand behind that a lot, too. And they 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 end up taking a lot, too, because they won't um, they they don't want to seem greedy, I think. Mm -hmm. But really, I think we need more teachers to stand up and and say this isn't right. And I know more and more are. And but to say this isn't right and we need more of a voice um, from everywhere saying we have to do something different because we're not, this is not effective. It's not working. And I don't know why we're not talking about it all the time mm-hmm. because this is our, this is, you know, the future. I, I know that sounds like cliche or whatever, but we say on one hand school sucks, but no one ever does anything about it. We just keep doing the same shit over yeah. and over yeah. and over again. Yeah, well, because you're given an impossible amount of money to yeah. deal with. Yeah, you're getting paid an impossible amount of money, uh, probably a fifth of which is going back into your classroom anyway. Um, you know, with all that, and and I know before we started this podcast, I, we had spoken about. How, how a lot of times on this show we don't talk about religion or politics and, and this isn't a direct a direct thing that has to do with that but I also I think you might have some knowledge on it so I am going to bring it up and if uh, if we get a little too deep or whatever just just let me know but I've, I've recently I do a little bit of writing just on my own mm-hmm. I'll, like sometimes I'll just I've got this really nice program on uh, on my iPad and I, I I have a nice keyboard for my iPad and I'll just, I'll just write I used to actually uh, catch some paying gigs to write and stuff so it's something i enjoy doing i don't do it for money anymore um but i i still do write and i was i was working on a piece about the education system and and just in the south in general and how if you look at 
literacy rates, uh, how red or blue a state is, teen pregnancy rates, uh, and church attendance. There's a strict correlation in the South Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. all of those things. If you look at your literacy rates, your least your least literacy rates is Tennessee, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. Alabama, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. All right. Your your teenage uh, pregnancy rates are highest amongst Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama. Church attendance is highest amongst those four states as well and all these things and i just i find it really funny that we always talk about people voting against their own interests and i, I don't mm-hmm. think that that paints a clearer picture of any of that mm-hmm. between these being in uh you know a lot of a lot of times people just the hypocrisy and all of that and, mm-hmm. and how these votes or how these states vote but let alone the way that they're actually living the education system and, and all of that. Like, do their, you get what I'm saying? Their interest there. I think that, I think that part of it is they need to be more aware that there are, there are other ways of going about educating children. And we need to, we need to look into those ways that, I think it it goes back to these are this is the way it's always been done, mm-hmm. and these are the. Why do you think those numbers are so bad in the South, though? Why do you think education is so poor and and literacy rates are so bad? Well, there's different and, pockets. It depends yeah. on progress too in mm-hmm. in different places, and as a state, it could be as a state as a whole. But there's pockets in anywhere where there's not some type of uh, decision to. We're going to look into evidence and research to support what we're doing. I think really look into it instead of misusing it. Because a lot of times we misuse, like we say, we need to, like, there's a lot of research that says we need to make education very relevant. So we take our system that we already have and just, like, tell them why it is important for them. You know, like, why, how it does actually apply to their, to them outside of, outside of the classroom. Even And we try to, like beat them over the heads with you're going to need this you're going to need this when when in the other hand we're, we we say to ourselves I don't use anything in school that I use anymore yeah. but I don't I don't know why that's interesting the numbers that you're talking about mm-hmm. and I and I'm a research person I love to look at research that would be really interesting for me to look at the numbers too like I would want to have yeah please it. do like, look would, at all of those I really do like that's that's an interesting mm-hmm. I think I think that's a whole nother interesting conversation yeah. that takes a lot of time to dig into mm. yeah <laughs> yeah I'm just wondering if you you being involved in the system I was just wondering if because I I was in a military family so I lived mm-hmm. in Alaska I lived in North Dakota I lived in Michigan I lived in DC I lived in Virginia, and then when I moved down here to, I'll say Florida, but it's really, I went to Crestview, mm-hmm. so it was really Alabama, basically, and uh, it was just, it was a completely different experience for mm-hmm. me. I had, I had, I couldn't believe the things that I was seeing. Uh, segregation was still a thing. Yeah. This is in 1996. Still, I was like, what the fuck? There's you still, know? it's still a thing in lots of places. Yeah, just in, in 2018. Just in yeah. different ways. They just, yeah. it's a lot more hidden now where it's more political now where you move Mm-hmm. lines uh, you move the district lines around for some other reason yeah but it's real for a really for another reason you know to to you know keep the black kids in another 
their school. You Absolutely. Know? <laughs> so. and, and that's just that's what's, <laughs> what's going back to what I was talking about, how racism and, and, and how that kind of stuff is systematic and the getting getting a waiver so your white kid doesn't go to the black school type yeah. shit. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it's a trip to it's it's. I don't know. It's just crazy to me. And yeah, I, I mean, that's that's. I feel like that's a whole episode to yeah. get into. Yeah, well, a lot of these things are, and it's just just one other really quick thing. I think I may have mentioned it on this podcast before, uh, but I, I help uh, Shane and I have a friend, Dave Abbott, who does stand up, and I help him write every now and then. We wrote a bit about this, the state of Alabama. A lot of people don't know this, but until the year two thousand, interracial marriage was illegal in the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I brought that fact up to someone who's close to me. And if your first reaction to that fact isn't, that's really a shame, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. If your first reaction is anything shy of, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah. The, you know, be, if your first reaction, explain it away. Yeah. yeah if your yeah. first reaction is, <laughs> well, they didn't emphasize it. It's a law. <laughs> it's in the law books. Oh, yeah. You freak. You know, if, if that's your first thing. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that. That's bizarre. Like you mm-hmm. have, you have kids. Uh, for example, the most talented college football team for the last decade has been the University of Alabama. Mm-hmm. I detest the University of Alabama. I do not like their football team. But I, I can admit, I think Nick Saban's a hell of a coach. I think there's a hell of a football program there. But but when a, when a black kid's allowed to win a Heisman Trophy for your school, mm-hmm. but can't marry one of your yeah. <laughs> one of your white cheerleaders yeah. that's a really big problem i mean even you know and the, that was until the year 2000 2000 yeah. well it happens like, in lots of different ways in the policies that we develop mm-hmm. at school that don't take um moving beyond uh, you know it's thinking about just cultures in general and how uh, we have we don't take into account cultures when we're developing policies at school. When you're looking at dress code things and the things that they that that kids get sent to the administrator's office for that teachers are pressured during the you know like make sure they're not wearing this or have this on. <laughs> like it can get very there can be, there's a lot involved in that in terms of culture and race too um when you're getting into dress code issues that again would be a whole nother issue and just not just dress code issues but other policies and codes that that school systems set because that's set by the school systems not by states i like to emphasize what states mandate versus what school systems mandate and so school so school districts they they design dress codes and they design policies in terms of behavior and there's a lot that is discriminated against in terms of culture and race when you get down to the policies that are in the handbook that um, a lot of people don't talk about even too and so there's a lot more kids that are sent to the principal's office for no re- for no real legitimate reason mm-hmm. other than they're enforcing the rules that are in the handbook you know yeah. And not asking why. Yeah. You know, why? not asking why are we... It kind of comes back to that systematic type thing. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's all... It's very systematic. But yeah. I wanted to point out that it's even as... There's even things that happen daily that, that keep kids from succeeding in the ways that they can, even down to the small policies that are made by school mm-hmm. districts. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, what what a story. I mean, that's... Um, to have the bravery just to quit that, um, I, I, can, I can definitely relate to you on that as well I, I was working a job that i thought i was gonna die as well i was pretty sure i was gonna die like literally yeah. i was no i get you on that that's... i just said like literally, that's my biggest pet peeve i just said my my biggest pet peeve are when people say like literally that's oh i say huge i probably peeve. said it 10 times i just did it i just fuck it. i'm gonna call myself out um 
but anyway, I, I honestly felt like I was dying and I mm-hmm. had to do something. I had to. So one day I said, I'm, I'm done with this. I need to make a decision. I need, everything, every decision I make from here on out is going to be to get myself out of this situation yes. that I'm in. And uh, man, I applaud you for doing that. It sounds like it's worked out really well for you. It's um, it's hard work. I don't want to say, happier. oh, I'm happier. The thing yeah. is, it's not easy work to find your own way. And I think that's, that's part of, too, my mission is to make it, uh, I want to help mm-hmm. others understand um, how to navigate yeah. through a, a more creative, I call it creative. It's just, it's just the way I want to be. It's what the life I want to live. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to navigate something outside of any normal system that people are used to working in to find a different path Yeah. Um, and know how to do that. And I feel like we should be helping kids at a lot younger age. I feel mm-hmm. like that's where we should be going for middle school is be teachers being more of career coaches for them and then teachers being allowed to be more career of a yeah. career coach and guiding students to defining success for themselves. I mean, think if, if you were to have been taught starting in middle school how to navigate through these early stages of a career, you know, the early stages of, of finding your way in the career you want, how much further along you would be mm-hmm. instead of instead of in learning literacy in the context of your interest, learning literacy in in those areas of your talents and abilities uh, that you're inter- that you know, and, and your passions that you're interested in mm-hmm. learning math and 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 because and, you can you can intertwine them all it's just a matter of of shifting the way we do education and not doing this you know conveyor belt type deal that we're doing so yeah yeah I, I was thinking the other day about about that as well about how you, you all these kids are just buried in their phones these days and, and a lot of people make the argument that that's really unhealthy for these kids as well. But at the same time, they're reading the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like they are, I'm, I'm reading on my phone, on my iPad, on my computer all day long. Kids are like, kids that's just really what, like, I think if they, I think part of it too, I, I, I get the research that says that, uh, that technology is creating, uh, is damaging in a way mm-hmm. for kids. I think it's about balance. And I think it's also that we, we're telling them no and ki- teenagers are automatically you know going to do the opposite of what we tell them anyway alice so, cooper so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the thing is like why not like why why are we telling them no why are we not teaching mm-hmm. them how to navigate through this and use it productively why are we not teaching them how to brand themselves and to understand who they are and what kind of a content yeah. what their content that they're posting online says about them and helping them navigate how to use technology and social media successfully why are we telling them no don't do it and teach them healthily how to use it that's Mm -hmm. that's my question make it a part of education because that is going to be a part of their lives yeah why why are we telling them no at school to do this and not embracing it and going somewhere with it without selling out your age too much i would assume (laughs) I would assume that you and I are probably pretty close in age. I don't. I don't know that to be true or not. My birthday's but... next month. It feels really wow. weird. Yeah. Well, happy I'm, early birthday. I'm. I, I don't mind telling my age. I'm 34, and oh, we're very I'm gonna, close I mean, in age. I'm going to be 34. Is okay. what I mean. So yeah. I. I am. I. It is really weird to think I'm heading towards my mid 30s. You're mid 30s. Yeah. You're. In, you're... <laughs> 
you're already in your mid thirties. I know, right? right? So am I, though. So am I. But can you imagine how much of a nightmare it would have been being in middle school mm-hmm. with Facebook yeah. and Instagram? Like that was already a nightmare for me anyway. Yeah. Like, could you imagine that? But that's why like, being a thing now. I, like, I, I, went, I was 20 when, 21 when MySpace or whatever was, I don't even want to pull, like, I don't want to know the codes to get back into, if it's still, you know, whatever it is now, if it, yeah. if my account still exists, I don't want to know it then. But that's also part of the point is like, we need to be helping them understand that the content that they're uploading on there is, is remaining. And why not send the message that they want to send about themselves at this yeah. age? You know. Well, it's all super new too. This is a really new experiment for yeah. all of us. Yeah. And like we've, no one has ever experienced this in the history of And so naturally humans, people are scared as as of it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're, we're just a part of it. Yeah. And, and it's just bizarre. Um, but anyway, I, I've, we, we were, we were over an hour now, so oh, we'll probably, gosh. probably yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel like it, right? No, it doesn't. Um, uh, thank you so Has much my for coming on. accent gone away? <laughs> I, I don't mind that's going to be the worst part of hearing this. I, just, I only brought it up one time and I don't, I don't mind it at all. I've lived here for, since 96. So, but the th- thing is living, living in this area for as long as I have, I, a talent I'm pr- I can normally guess within probably a couple of hours of driving where? to where you're from <laughs> you know like if you're from Savannah or yeah, from Atlanta is different. or somewhere around there or if you're from uh, South Alabama versus mm-hmm. say Tennessee mm-hmm. there it's there, there's 30 different southern accents yeah that uh, that I've been pointed out. But anyway, uh, I just want to applaud you on, on doing what you've done. I think that's great. I can't wait to hear your TED Talk. I can't um, wait. <laughs> please please let us know as soon as it's live. We'll repost it on on all of our stuff uh, oh, in accordance with, with your with your story as well. And uh, one last thing. I've, do you know our friend Maxine? Do you know Maxine Orange? I don't think I do. I don't know many people around. I feel like we need to introduce you to her because uh, she's a a successful artist in the area as well. And she's starting her podcast first thing of 2019. She has a group going on right now of artists who all want to be on the podcast. I would Um, love that. I think uh, think her podcast, it's definitely more specialized than mine is. I just like people picking people's brains and and hearing about their stories. See what makes them tick. Maybe I can apply some really cool things that you've done to my life to to make it better as well. And the listeners, too. But uh, but when we get off here, I'll 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 have to uh you know get you an invitation to add you to a group because I think that'd be a really good uh a really good connection to have as well. I she's, would love she's that. She's doing some cool stuff because that's so. that's big part of living a more creative in a more creative world mm-hmm. is you don't know how to navigate through things so that that like you depend on finding yeah. the communities. I think her that's, podcast that's is called she's... the Creative Mo. Is uh, what it's good. called. Yeah. yeah, good. I need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so once she gets that started, we had a meeting with her a couple of weeks ago. She was asking us a lot of the questions about kind of how, how our podcast goes. And um, we're going to have her on as soon as she launches her podcast, kind of do some co-branding and stuff like that. So we'd love to put you in touch with her and get you on there. So, yeah, I would but, love uh, that. Thanks for coming in yeah. on a Wednesday night. I appreciate you introducing <laughs> yourself a few weeks ago. And uh, so, yeah, is there yeah. anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't? Uh, Did we conquer your list? I mean- <laughs> I think we yeah. did a good job, right? I, I got th- my mother taught me to be a list maker and to be very thorough, so I, I am I'm definitely that. So. Yeah. Did have, have you listened to your TED talk yet? No, that's I'm, that's why I said I'm excited to hear it because I okay. have not heard in, in any any bit of it at all mm-hmm. at all. We have there's only one speaker that's been uploaded to the YouTube um, yeah. channel for TEDx. There's a whole YouTube channel for TEDx and all of ours will, all any speaker who's with TEDx gets uploaded to that same channel. Okay. So, 
yeah, that's that's going to be, I'm assuming, in the next week. So. Well, cool. Congratulations. Good luck on the release. Thank and, you. And uh, thanks for coming in. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.